Hello and welcome to Show and Tell, the movie review podcast from the RPG Academy. I'm Michael, and this is Show and Tell episode number two, Dungeons and Dragons Wrath of the Dragon God. As one of our Patreon campaign milestones, Caleb and I have committed that we would do a monthly podcast of an RPG-related movie and invite our patrons to join us. This is the first of these shows. Now, we have done a show and tell before, about a year, maybe a year and a half ago. We reviewed the original Dungeons & Dragons movie, and it was a lot of fun. We, we kind of blasted on it for a while, but we had a good time, and it's something we've wanted to do again and just never got around to doing it. And so by connecting it to the Patreon campaign, we've kind of forced ourselves to do so. But I'm glad we did, because it was a lot of fun to, to hit this movie again. Unfortunately, none of our patrons could actually join us. But it was kind of short notice this month. We're hoping that in the future, on our next one and beyond, that some of our patrons will be able to join us. Uh, the next one will be Dungeons & Dragons 3, Book of Vile Darkness. We are probably going to end up doing that early September rather than end of August just because of Gen Con and some other stuff. It's probably going to get pushed back a little bit, uh, but stay tuned for more details. So Caleb and I had to fly tandem this week. Uh, we reviewed this awful, awful movie. And uh, I really hope that you enjoyed this show more than we enjoyed that movie. So here is Show and Tell, episode number two, Dungeons and Dragons, Wrath of the Dragon God. Well, Caleb, sir, how are you? I'm doing well, Michael. And how about yourself? I'm doing well as well. I think that's pretty much our normal greeting. Yeah, yeah. That's that's how we open every single show. So we are here tonight for our first ever movie night. Yay! Get Yay! The Woohoo! Which is a milestone, sort of like a reward through our Patreon campaign, where we're going to come together once a month and talk about movies. Specifically, movies that have something to do with role-playing games. So this means we might eventually get to watch Mazes and Monsters. We might uh, we might hit up one of the gamers' movies, or this uh, Unicorn City I've heard about, or maybe even the of Dyson Men, uh, the movie that we had the privilege recently to watch uh, and speak to the director and the EP of that movie. Uh, obviously, there's all kinds of other movies that are somewhat related to RPGs. Willow comes to mind. Princess Bride. Call the Conqueror, Conan, any of the three incarnations, and potentially the new one that's coming out. I actually would argue that the movie Serenity could be uh, viewed as an RPG game. 
space pirates of a sort. So we have some leeway in what we're going to watch. But for this week, or this month, I should say, what did we watch, Caleb? We went back in time to the wonderfully classic film Dungeons and Dragons Wrath of the Dragon God. Bum, bum, bum. Bum. This was, this was a movie full of wrath. I'll give it that. It, it definitely lived up to its name. There was a dragon god, and he was full of wrath. And I had some wrath after I watched it again. So, <laughs> so, so for me, well, let, me, let me do my intro here, and then we'll get into that. But, uh, so this is the second film that was basically financed through um, Courtney Solomon. I think he has a company now. He's the one who bought the rights to the original Dungeons & Dragons movie. And uh, had held on to the license for like 20 years. Finally saved up enough money, got enough money, enough backing. He made the original Dungeons & Dragons movie, which we have on this website have already reviewed. It's under a show-and-tell heading. And this movie, this podcast will be released also as a show-and-tell. So this is the year-and-a-half-later sequel to that show. We did the second Dungeons & Dragons movie. Timely! This one, however, is not a, a theatrical release. This was a direct-to-DVD sci-fi sort of movie. Uh, it was directed by Jerry Lively, written by Robert Kimmel. Jerry Lively it stars a bunch of people that you've never heard of, including Bruce Payne, Mark Diamond, and Clemency Burton Hill. So what did you think of this movie, Caleb? Oh, it was so horrible. Was it, was it that bad, though? Really? Was it that bad? Okay. Well, first off, let me say this before we go into this. This movie came out in 2005. Yes. Everything we're going to be talking about will be a spoiler. If you uh, have not seen this movie that came out nine years ago and still want to, we're going to have a sit-down chat because you might need some help. Yeah, be warned. <laughs> but yes, spoilers overall. Spoilers, 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 spoilers. I've seen this movie a zillion times. I've seen the first D&D movie a zillion times. And every single time... I've died a little bit on the inside. <laughs> There's not much left of you, my friend. There's you know really I mean? not. I'm I, I'm a miserable husk of a being. The move, I I just can't like these movies. I want to like them because I'm such a fan of the game and the brand, and I want to lend my support and say, hey, this is kind of a crappy movie, but it's Dungeons and Dragons. And then I hit play, and then I... <laughs> yeah, so there. So the reason I asked you that question is, while I was watching the movie, the first movie, the first Dungeons & Dragons, was awful in my mind. I'm talking awful. It's Gardner Wayne's brother. And he was the best part of the movie. And that's opinion. the saddest part of that. You, you go back and listen to that first show and tell. I was saying that he actually was one of my favorite parts. That and the kid that you think is Will Wheaton. That's true. Uh, this movie, however, I didn't think it was like laugh out loud, god awful funny. I just thought it was just not good. I don't. It was a it was a bad script. It was low budget. They spent way too much money on really bad effects because they weren't good effects. But I know they spent a lot of money on them. Yeah, granted, this was 2000, what, 2005? Five. Yeah. yeah, so it's, it's been a while. But it just, it was like, bad. But it wasn't awful. Like, it wasn't so bad it was good. It was no. just bad enough to just not be good. I, I Normally, if there's a movie I don't like, I can find some redeeming qualities. I can divorce myself from my opinions. 
and try to appreciate the movie for what works. There's nothing in this movie that works. No. I've, I'm so, sorry. So let's I'm go through sorry. let's go through the characters. I'm gonna have to pull up the IMDb because uh, none of the characters stuck out in my head well enough <laughs> no. for me for me to to remember. Well, here here's one thing. There is a big name in this movie, and no, it's um it was Roy Marsden, and he was kind of the head of the Wizards Guild. I have no idea what else he's been in, but he has that face that you know him from something else. Well, according to IMDb, you would know him from The Sandbaggers, Unnatural Causes, King Solomon's Mind, Certain Justice. Uh, he's been on uh, uh, nothing I've seen ever. No, Doctor Who. He was on there. That's where I know. That's where I know him from. And he had, and he, he's he's just kind of that that character actor. He's that guy that always has that one role. <laughs> he's that one guy with that face. Yeah, and hey, since since we're talking about him, first off, I like the fact that they just gave him straight out from the three point five Dungeons Master Guide prestige class the uh, the costume of the. Um, the archmage, yes. out of the back, out of the back of the book. But for some god unknown reason, they gave him a monkey stick. <laughs> yes, yeah, they did. A monkey had to have to cast fire, water, air that spits water like a squirt gun for no goddamn reason. Yeah, that that was pretty awful. So, I believe the main character was uh, Damodar. Was that right? Is that his name? Sure. Or was that the bad guy? Because I thought the bad guy's name started with a P. He was like Profion or Profius or something. Well, the the bad guy was this one of the bad guys from the first D and D movie, so that gave us a little bit of continuity. Yes, which didn't really make a whole lot of sense, actually. No, but, at, at no point. But they did get rid of his blue lipstick, which was and I blue think, ears. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so that's it. Bruce Payne uh, was uh, Profius or whatever his name was. He was the bad guy. He was like the second-in-command bad guy in the original Dungeons & Dragons movie. And in this movie, apparently he was cursed and turned to some sort of undead. And then he is the main bad guy in this movie, even though he's not really in it a whole lot, to be honest no, with you. No, not at all. No. So we have, it looks like Mark Diamond plays Barrack, And he is in either in love with, married, has a hot to Melora, who is a wizard in training. And they're, um... God, I don't know where to start. So... Uh, Lux is the barbarian played by Ellie Chisdy. Nim, the wizard, or no, Nim was the rogue played by Tim Stern. Who they always called Rogue. Yes, they called him Rogue. So there were so many parts in this movie where clearly they were playing homage to D&D. Like they were trying, like they, they even used like names of modules. Like they did. Inverness, uh, Shrine of Koatoa. There was the White Plume Mountain, I think, at one point. Like they were throwing out these uh, references to remember that time when in all these different situations, <laughs> and they were trying so hard to 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 connect it to the game, which I think is part of the problem. Like, and I think that was part of the problem with the first movie. Well, no, see, I'm going to disagree with you there because the first movie, if you didn't put the Dungeons and Dragons title screen, you would have never thought it was a Dungeons and Dragons movie. You would have thought it was just generic sword and sorcery 
the movie. <laughs> so I think when they made this one, they said, oh, we bought this license. We should use it. Fans want to hear the names of what they read in the books. Apparently they thought we did. Well, they went the wrong way because the whole movie was nothing but the people on screen saying, hey, guess what? We're pretending to be the people in the game that you pretend to play. Look at us. Yay! But, but even that, they screwed up because they, they played lip service to it. But then in actual terms of the movie, they violated what I would consider some very common principles of the game. Yeah, they did. There's a point where there's like a puzzle, and they send the wizard to fight off the barbarian horde while the paladin stayed back to try to figure out the puzzle with the rogue. No, now, the wizard stays behind and helps figure out the puzzle, and the paladin fights. Now, I would argue that they, uh, that guy was a fighter, not a paladin. Probably, yeah, uh, it kind of went back and forth. He, he was a, certainly a noble fighter. Yeah. I don't know if he was a paladin, because there really wasn't any divinity to him, but I would agree with it. He was like a, a, a knight, a chivalrous knight. Yeah, he, he, yeah. Like, the, the whole movie, every time I've watched it, I, can't, the, I cannot get enjoyment out of just watching the movie... So I just find myself analyzing it in terms of the game. Like, oh, okay, well, that's that spell. Oh, that's that could be that feat. Oh, look, it's a, a thing that's a thing. And then it, it's just such a stretch. It's so... It's so, like it's like whoever wrote the movie read the Wikipedia entry of Dungeons & Dragons and quoted every line in there as Bible truth. That's what this movie is. I would agree, and... So, yet again, I, I argue that the wizard should have been trying to solve the puzzle. Then there was a moment where when they go into the goblin village, the fighter opens the, the doorway, and who steps in first? The wizard. Oh, no, the wizard does. You're right, you're right. Yeah, the wizard steps in first. No. Then when they get down into the dungeon for the first time, do they let the rogue go in front to look for traps? No. Like, no. these are cliche, yes, but if you're going to go cliche, if you're going to quote the book, for God's sake, at least stay true to the game and not right. have these classic blunders. Right. And then, speaking of the dungeon, here's, here's the two things that pissed me off the most about that scene. The rogue says, hey, look away, I'm gonna do this super secret rogue thing, and he turns a fucking handle. The, see, I like that. That actually was one of the highlights of the movie for me, because I could totally <laughs> see myself doing that in a game, because he knew it was a handle. He was lying to them, and, he's, <laughs> and he wanted them to think that it was this cool thing. So I actually like that. Uh, okay, I, I, you're right. That, that was kind of funny. It just annoyed me. Wow. And then there's the part after that where they're solving an actually really cool dungeon puzzle. Yes. That I, I would love... Like, I would like to see that in a game, but I have no way how to... I don't know how to make it work, because they did a thing with mirrors... And uh, it was kind of like the Indiana Jones walk across the right tiles, but you look in a magic mirror, and the mirror shows you what tiles to walk on. That's a really cool dungeon puzzle. I agree. I was thinking that, too. I was like, that, that's a cool D&D puzzle. Right. But what I hate about that is, oh, here's a good spoiler, at the end of that, the rogue gets zapped. Oh, so here, I, have a, I have a problem before that. How does the rogue fail a reflex save? Ow! She was taking half damage anyway. Exactly. But, you should have stayed for half. Yes, There's an evasion. But the part, so the two parts that I, think, that I didn't like. One, so it's a cool puzzle. It's it's basically like five squares wide by like twenty squares deep, glowing white 
tiles. In the mirror, certain ones are are darked out so you know to step on them. Right. So they're walking backwards. Well, the first guy, the fighter, is about halfway across when the wizard starts to go across. Oh, meaning yeah. she's in the way and he can no longer see where he should step. They all did that, too. All yes. of them. That wasn't just a one-time flub. And then by the end, when the rogue, because the rogue goes last, surely he would have known by now, like, did he need to see? Couldn't he have just said, like, everyone would have said, it's that tile. That's the tile we all just stepped on. It's that one. Just step there. No, because the, the mirror is closing off, he makes a half-assed moronic leap backwards, and that's how he gets zapped. I think this guy must have been on another show, and they needed him off of set for, like, three days, and they're like, I right, fuck, just let him go unconscious. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. <laughs> well... Okay, let's let's back up a little bit because we're just kind of ranting about how horrible <laughs> this is. Here, here's the concept of the movie. There's the bad guy from the first movie. He is some sort of undead. He is looking for some sort of magical MacGuffin. I can't even tell you what it was. It was an orb that somehow was part of the dragon god. I assume that someone looked in the DMG and found the heading that said Orb of Dragon Control and plucked that part out of it, I don't know what really wasn't defined. So he's trying to raise this dragon god or something, because he doesn't really ever do that. Uh, then you, we cut to the good guys, and we've got the very stereotypical, I used to be a fighter, but now I'm a nobleman. Oh, I wish I could adventure theme. And his girlfriend is... I guess a wizard or maybe a sorcerer. I think she's a wizard in training. Okay, but then she's trying to use divine magic. And what the hell? I think that was somewhat of a subplot that was cut out. But it also, because she's saying that divine magic, because she explains that divine magic is different than arcane magic and, and how what? it works. What? Yeah. What? And that a divine magic that? is uh, given by power of the gods, and arcane magic is through spells and study. And then we learn at the end that she is able to control some of this magic because it turns out that the, the old wizards prayed to a god, which it was like totally stupid half-assed right. explanation. So <sighs> the fact that she was trying to explore the differences between arcane and divine magic is what allowed her to be the hero in the end type of it. Right, right. Totally Totally stupid. Yes, totally, totally stupid. It could, it could have been interesting. Like, if this was a movie about the, the, the metaphysical dynamic between belief and mastery of a skill, and that was the interplay, that could have been interesting, but not the way they played it out. Considering this movie was an hour and 44 minutes long, not a whole lot happens either. Like, it's, I would I, say that yeah. they could have made it longer and, and added that in as a subplot. No, they couldn't have because the movie was too damn long. Right, exactly. The whole time I was watching, I was like, when is this over? Damn it. What, I'm, are we done yet? No. <laughs> so I get, I get that Courtney Solomon, you know, he loves D&D, obviously. Like, you know, that's where this came from. But I kind of feel like I would hate playing in his games. Because this is the second movie that he executive produced, which basically means he financed the movie or, or secured financing. Right. And they both end the same way. They end with the a bunch of wizards. Same scene. Yeah, a bunch of wizards on a tower with a magic item that controls dragons fighting dragons. Like that is right. it, literally the last fifteen minutes are exactly the same movie. Absolutely, and it's and it's a random princess controlling the item and making the dragons go away. Yeah, the, 
this movie does kind of play out a little bit more like the stereotypical D&D campaign in that they discover the bad guy, the main good guy is given a quest, he assembles a team, he goes on the quest, there's random encounters, everybody dies. <laughs> and one of those random encounters is with a lich who has the worst makeup in the history oh of Oh my god, ever. they went to a fucking Halloween store and bought a mask that was, looked like a pig, kind of, with kind weird of. teeth. Yeah, and, and okay, so take a second. What was that thing that was with Protheon? Was that supposed to be like a half-orc? I think it was supposed to be a half-orc. Because it was just like a bald dude with bushy eyebrows. And and a, and he didn't have a nose. He, like, had a weird half-nose thing, so I think that's what made him a half-orc. I think he's that, and, like, this the whole time I'm like, oh, okay, well, this, you know, this is his second command. And then he dies like a punk when the good guys show up. He literally doesn't even get to do anything. He just gets slaughtered oh, yeah. like, like a pig. Right. And the as the good guys are starting off on their quest, they're in the woods. There is there is really a random encounter. This we're not exaggerating. This is like the DM rolled his dice and said, Oh, something happens while you're building the raft. But it turns out in the middle of the woods, it's a freaking lich. Right. That is, that is not on the random encounter table. That is <laughs> an end boss. I'm sorry. Exactly. And I've played a lot of D&D. I've only used liches a couple times. To me, they are very iconic character NPCs, but they are to be used in a certain way. And they made this lich, like, dumb. And, like, it just... Fighting a lich in the middle of a well-lit forest in the middle of the day isn't what I think of. I mean, they're like vampires. I want to, I want to be in a crypt in a dark castle during a lightning storm when I find out I'm fighting a lich. It just seemed like a total throwaway moment. It was dumb. Exactly. They... I I don't even know what their justification was of making this villain a calling hit a lich. Like, they introduced him as what appeared to be a random encounter. Then he shows up again later working for the main bad guy. Like, he goes to him and gives him a deal and says, I'll help you and blah, 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 blah. So they have this relationship. It Nothing he did at any point embodied what we know as a lich out of the game. It, it could have just been random sorcerer guy, and, and that would have been fine. Yes. I, I, again, I think, like you said, they read a Wikipedia entry, and they, they saw that liches were like an iconic bad guy, and they're like, well, we'll put a lich in there. Yeah. What does a lich do? I, I don't know. I guess we'll fight him in the woods with some dead people or something. Sure. I don't know. Sure. And we, we go back, we, we're in the scene a little bit before they fight the lich, where the, the good guy is assembling his team. The king has given him a quest, and he, he has to assemble. The king even says the line, we need to assemble a small group of adventuring heroes that the villain will not notice breaking through the main forces. You can't get any more cliche. <laughs> and I, overall, that's my biggest problem with the movie, that D&D and RPGs as a whole are... They're almost limitless in the stories that you can tell. So do we really have to have the traditional five heroes against the dragon bad guy quest? And and I'm stealing this from someone else. When, when the movie discussion came up again, I was on some message boards, and I have no idea who to account this to, and I apologize. But someone said, think about how cool D&D movie could be if you made it just like Fast and the Furious. Make it like a heist movie. 
where yeah. a bunch of adventurers have to break into like a wizard's tower or a dwarven kingdom's vault, and it's it's just happens to have sorcerers and elves and wizards in it, but it's about these interesting characters. You know, and just do it that way. That would be awesome. But we have, but no, but we have to have five adventurers fighting evil dragons and going on quests. Oh my god, it's so awful. Well, if if you remember, also when the hero is selecting his team of adventurers, he calls them out by stats. <laughs> he says the line, "Well, for wisdom, I shall select the cleric." God damn it. Why did he have green forehead tattoos? What what the fuck was that? Oh, okay. So let, let's talk about this. In the first movie, there's really no references to any kind of D&D deities or, or demons or devils or demigods or whatever. So in this movie, they're like, all right. They, they hit that Wikipedia entry. They, they clicked on the deities link. Somehow they skipped to the middle of the alphabet and went with Obad as the deity of this goddamn movie. Obed High, the dude that's made of leaves and acorns that fucks around in the woods. Why the hell didn't they use Paylor? <laughs> that would have made a little bit more what? sense to me. Right. So what you were just saying about the, the cleric dude with the green tattoos <laughs> that looked like fucked up eyebrows. He looked like racing stripes. Like, did, did he run really fast? <laughs> did, did we not see that? Well, we, the first scene with, with this dude, he's praying in a temple, and he gets pissed off at some soldiers for walking in randomly and wearing shoes. Yes. That's the first time we see this epic cleric. He yells at some soldiers for wearing shoes and knocks them over. So, with the so his, name is, his, his name is Mr. Rogers, that basically going forward. At the, and <laughs> then, he, then he has the freaking City Slickers line, there's one thing in the world that's most important, but you got to figure out what it is, and then he promptly gets eaten by a dragon. That cleric deserved to die, because yeah. that was the stupidest goddamn move I've ever seen a cleric make, ever. Oh, yeah. It was stupid. Really, really oh, stupid. Oh, God, it was so stupid. So, this is another random encounter that the DM rolled. It's an ice dragon. Yes. No reason. Arbitrary. They're in the middle of the woods in a goblin fortress, and an ice dragon attacks them. And I want to talk about the goblin thing, too. So they, okay. get, to the, they get to the goblin village, because this is one of the things that drove me crazy. After they fought the lich in the woods for no reason. After they fought the lich in the woods, they went to the goblins, because the goblins know the way to the place they need to get to that will get them to the place they really need to get to. MacGuffin after MacGuffin after MacGuffin. Correct. So they go to the goblin village, and they, they figure out which of the goblin um, huts is the shaman's. Chauvin's hut. Because the fighter made a perception check. <laughs> Woo! Yes. Do I notice anything on the outside that would tell me that maybe it's the shaman or the leaders? Why, yes, you do. But what, <laughs> but what I found interesting is these goblin huts were off the ground like five feet. And I'm, I have no problem with that. It's an interesting decision. Okay, fine, whatever. It's like, so you had to climb up a little wooden ladder. So you go up like five feet, which doesn't really make sense for goblins because they're short little creatures. You think they want to be on the ground, but whatever. So they go into the goblin hut, and they do detect magic, and they find a, a magic something or bobble. They don't just do detect magic. The wizard says, hold on, let me detect magic. No, the fighter told her to do that. Yeah, the is anything said, magical? 
And then it switches to like a video game mode where there's one thing glowing, like the whole scene's like black and white, there's one thing glowing gold. And it's a goddamn ring of, uh, the, the ring that makes the spirit ram hit. Ring, ring of ram. A ring of the rams or whatever. Ugh. Ugh. But my favorite part here, okay, so stick with, first of all, the wizard walks in first, which is stupid. But secondly, so, so that happens. They find a little secret catch, which I thought was kind of cool. The fighter got another perception check. Then the rogue notices that there's something buried in the underneath the bed. And there's right. there's a lot to be discussed there. But at the end of the day, essentially the most prized possession of this goblin shaman, the thing that he protects greater than anything else, is underneath his bed on the floor. But as we've already established, his hut is approximately five feet off the ground which means that his most prized possession would easily be found by going under his hut, looking up, bypassing all his traps, be stolen and he would never know it, and you could also disable the trap that almost kills him anyways. That is the dumbest possible way to hide anything. But let's also point out that the trap you are speaking of is a spiked pit trap, where when you lift the box, the spikes surge up from the floor and kill you. I'm going to repeat that. The spikes surge up from the floor. We're in a wooden hut that is five feet off the ground, so logic dictates and physics dictate the spikes should be under the hut, but when they walked into the hut, there were no spikes. Couldn't see them. They weren't there. Where did these spikes come from? <laughs> it was a, like a magical trap that uh, they actually came from a different dimension. Yeah, exactly. Sure. It, so... They could have solved that very easily by just putting the hut on the floor, on the yeah. ground. Yeah. So why did they make the choice to put the hut five feet in the air other than when the dragon comes, they all got to jump off of it and ninja roll away. Yep. So there that was, was great. There were some was, great ninja rolls. Yeah, had to have the ninja rolls. And there, were one, there was one time in particular where the barbarian did a ninja roll for no reason. Literally <laughs> no reason. Well, that, that, was the, uh, that was the Captain Kirk logic. Captain Kirk always gets to ninja roll through a door and then rip his shirt. Unfortunately, the barbarian did not rip her shirt. That would have made for a more exciting movie. But she also did have stupid face tattoos. You're right. Hers, though, looked just like a magic marker. Like, it was literally just solid, fat, black, sharpie on her forehead. Let, let's talk about the barbarian for a second. We are introduced to, to the barbarian when the fighter says, I need a, someone with strength. Let me get the barbarian. We cut to a scene in a tavern where a large, brawny, shirtless man is the center of, of the shot. You assume this is the barbarian. Oh, shocking twist of events. It's the hot chick that walks up and punches him in the face. Throughout the course of the movie, this barbarian proves to be very barbarianish in that she is usually the frontline fighter and usually kills everything. My problem is they basically treated her class skills of being a barbarian as losing all control in battle and not caring about anything else. Because twice they had the exact same scene of, hey, barbarian, you're in the middle of battle. We have to do something else. Stop fighting. Barbarian goes, Rawr! and keeps fighting, and someone has to do the magic equivalent of a slap across the face <laughs> yes. to stop her from being crazy. That's, 
That's not really what a barbarian is, in my mind. It could be, sure. But I, I don't think that really embodies the the that stereotypical D&D barbarian. Well, don't forget the, su- the subplot where her brother apparently went into a barbarian rage that he was not able to get snapped out of and had to be murdered by our main hero. By the good guy, right. Yeah. And... Oh, let, let's just continue, let's just jump to the end of the movie real quick for more spoilers. We get to the end of the movie. The barbarian had been trapped in a life and death battle. Yeah, we 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 think she's dead. Right. It's implied that she's dead. The good guy is chasing down the bad guy on on horse. The worst horse photography ever, too. Clearly, he was not on a horse. He's just doing like yep. this sort of up and down bouncy thing. They probably went to the Kmart and got on that quarter horse ride. That would have been more realistic than, than what we saw. That would have actually, I would have been a little bit more convinced. Well, that's why, if you ever notice, anytime they're actually on a horse, their cloaks are magically 50 feet long to cover the entire horse. Yeah. So, I don't know why. Anyway, climactic chase scene on these horrible horses. The Out of nowhere... The barbarian pops up and yells at the bad guy, and he falls over. Literally goes like booga 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 booga, <laughs> and the with her arms up in the air. Roar! Okay, <laughs> so but, but you're bypassing what I the, the 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 biggest what the frack moment for me. Like I literally like stopped, rewound just to make sure that I didn't miss something. So the whole conceit of the movie is there's this ancient black dragon that's asleep under the mountain that it's now about to wake up and if they don't go get the MacGuffin that it's going to wake up and kill everybody. uh, Protheon or Protheus or whatever his name is he wants this to happen. He's the one that stole the orb to ensure that it happened. He's the main bad guy blah blah blah. So they finally the dragon wakes up and starts to fly off and there's a scene where he and the lich, who are standing there side by side very awkwardly, like first date awkward, the dragon shows up, talks to them, and then flies off a really long way. Like, you see the dragon flying, like, the city is really, really far away, and you see that it's about to go destroy it, right? Right. There's definitely a scale of distance that is established in that shot that lich and Profion are really far away away from city. They're watching its destruction from like a mile away or more. Sure. However, our main hero gets with his girlfriend, who's now the chosen one, who has the orb on the top of a tower fighting the dragon. He looks over, and it looks at this point like these guys are like 30 feet away. Because he looks right at them, sees them, goes and jumps on his horse, and rides out to them. Even though they were like a mile away, he couldn't have even seen them, much less that close. And it was like, oh, that is so stupid. Yeah. So that even makes it worse that the barbarian showed up, because how the frack would she have any idea where they would be? Right, because we we after basically the TPK happened, and the good guy is racing his horse with the MacGuffin back to the city, the barbarian heroically stays behind to buy him time. So she's where he starts, he's all the way in the city, and then the bad guys are off a mile away. Suddenly, the bad guy is right there, the good guy is chasing him, and then the barbarian jumps out of the bushes and says, booga, 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 
and the bad guy falls over. And then you have the end of the movie, which makes because we've skipped the part that his girlfriend, the mage in training, is is cursed. She's about to become care. an undead. Yeah, <laughs> no one cares. And no well, one and cares. I, I love how they they have one shot with this makeup on her hand showing that she's decaying, and then and she then wears gloves, gloves the rest of the movie. Yeah, she has gloves on because they couldn't afford <laughs> makeup. So, uh, oh my god. So he's got a piece of her hair, and that's how he's cursing her. Which he got through a vision. Yeah, she did a vision spell, and somehow he was able to cut her hair, which makes no sense. And they explain it with, well, maybe he has that power. <laughs> well, apparently he does, because he did. Like, that's all that was said. Is, well, I guess he must have that power. Yeah, sure Which does. perfectly embodies the cliche statement, I guess a wizard did it. I... <laughs> <laughs> when in doubt... The wizard did it somehow. Yes, that would that is exact. I didn't even catch that, but yes, that's exactly. <laughs> that was. I guess the wizard did it. Yep. So so she's cursed. So he has to get the curse removed, or she's going to die. So the barbarian goes booga booga booga. He falls off his horse. She jumps at his throat with a knife, and she's about to kill him. And the fighter's like, "No, don't kill him." Then he walks over and goes, "I'm going to kill you. Exactly. You don't uncurse my wife." <laughs> that's my favorite part. <laughs> The, the fighter, the heroic noble fighter, faces down this hulked-out raging barbarian, I guess makes a diplomacy check, and says, no, no, restrain your rage. We must bring the villain to justice. And she goes, okay. So in that moment, the fighter has proven himself chivalrous and that he will treat the prisoner with justice and nobility. He then proceeds to take a dagger, put it to the villain's throat, and say, I will fucking kill you if you do not help me. That's like, bad cop, bad cop. It doesn't <laughs> work. Come on. Well, and then the, the reasoning. Why, why would the bad guy listen? Like, what what was in it for him? Yeah. There, there, there is no reason why he would have just said okay at that point. I, I, I don't know. I mean, Exactly. There, there was no... Now, the outcome is that the bad guy relinquishes the magical piece of hair that he was wearing as a friendship bracelet, and everything's fine. The princess is healed. She does the magical whoosie what's-its with the MacGuffin. Same scene from the first movie. All the dragon... The dragon flies away. No reason. Absolutely no reason. The, the good guy just says, you better do it. I'm the good guy. And the bad guy says, shit, it's the end of the movie. <laughs> You win. He like he he pulls out a script. He's like, oh yeah, I guess I do it. Okay. And then again, magically, yep. he has her hair, even though he hasn't had it the whole time. Right. Uh, but again, he's a wizard, so he can do that. Yeah. Let so, God. Uh, the, uh, the first, the first person to die in this movie is the cleric. So right there, you know the movie's doomed. You know the quest is doomed because your healer dies in the first encounter. Because he's an idiot fighting. Because an ice he's dragon. an idiot. Because when they're fighting an ice dragon in the goblin camp, he runs out and tries to cast a fire spell. He then fails his fortitude save to a turn into ice spell and gets eaten. Yes. And it would have been even cooler if he got turned to ice and then would have got smashed. But no, yep. he got turned to ice and then the dragon very clumsily CGI goes oh, bro, 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 and eats yep. him up. So that later when they, they blow the dragon up, there's chunks of him that fall, and there's like a boot. Yep. So how did the cleric fail a fort save? Come on. So I do want to ask, because this was the one part I was confused about. At the very end of the movie, 
the rogue and the wizard are like tending a garden together and a cleric walks in and talks and but no, there's no dialogue he like walks right. in and stands there and well, they look at him was that the cleric was he resurrected because i couldn't see his scraping stripes well, so i wasn't sure if it was him well okay so here's here's really what clinches how bad a movie this is after the climactic scene where the good guy talks the bad guy into losing for no reason all we get as a payoff to this movie is a scene with no dialogue of the survivors. We see the the hero nobly having recovered and leaving his town. We see his girlfriend being a wizard. We see the rogue and the and the wizard doing gardening. We see the barbarian ride a horse. We see the bad guy in jail. Credits. <laughs> there's there's no I'm going to get you next time from the bad guy. There's no, well, I guess we saved the day and everything's all right, speech from the hero. It's literally just, oh, shit, we need a happy ending. Everybody stand there. Back to my question, was that the cleric? And I don't know because there's no dialogue and there's no explanation. And he's not facing the camera. Right. Like, it, it's weird. The way it's shot is you just kind of see the side of his head. So I think it was supposed to have been the cleric resurrected. But again, there was no dialogue. They didn't say his name. They didn't even really see them excited to see him. They just looked up and sort of like, hey, here's this guy. And he steps into frame. But you can't really tell. So I think it was supposed to be him resurrected, but it wasn't even clear. Well, see, it might have just been a regular cleric. Because remember, when they escaped the bad guy's castle... The the rogue was almost dead because he got shot in the ankle by a lightning bolt. And he apparently failed his save and didn't take the proper feats, and then he, he took full damage. Right. The wizard got her arm cut off by the hero because she teleported herself half into a wall. Yes, which in one moment was cool, but in another moment was not. Cause... Right. Like, it was kind of, the scene was actually kind of cool, but the way they set it up was dumb. Right. Because they, they had pitched this whole thing, they had to use a scrying pool, and the scrying pool was made by a demon, who, because he was a demon, was like, hey, I'm going to make it fail sometimes, because I'm a demon. And the person who had used it before them teleported straight into a wall. So there was the most obvious foreshadowing ever that something bad was going to happen, and whoops, the wizard got her left forearm stuck in a wall. So the genius fighter says, hey, why don't you cast a teleport spell, and while you're casting it, I'll chop your arm off, and we'll all teleport back to safety. How that works magically, I don't know. Because if, if I know anything about teleportation from Star Trek and the transporters, you're frozen in the position you're standing in when the teleporter is going off. Because we have all those moments in Star Trek where they're standing there half in the middle of punching someone in the face, right. and they show up like that on the ship. Well, <laughs> I, I can live with that, but what's funny is he tells Lack, or Lex, or whatever her name is, the barbarian, Lux, he's like, get a tourniquet ready. And then he gets the sword, <laughs> and he's like, when you're ready, and then she casts the spell, and they actually disappear before he cuts her arm off, and he just starts his swing. Just starts it when they disappear. When they reappear, there's a tourniquet on her arm. 
So apparently, so apparently, in this version of teleportation, it's not really teleportation. It's like they got into a cab and they had a cab ride over, uh-huh. and then the ride over, he put a tourniquet on her arm. So, so that's why the the wizard and the rogue Stay are not the... in the climactic fight scene because they're hurt. So they and they and remember, they did teleport to a temple. Yeah. Because the fighter said, "Teleport us to a temple." And they're and he's carrying her in. We must heal them. They saved the town. So I think that payoff scene at the end is that the clerics healed them. But I have no clue if that guy is supposed to be the first one. I don't think it is. Yeah, see, because I, I feel like if it was supposed to have been, they would have made it more obvious. You know, they would have had him face the camera so you could clearly see his green racing stripes. But I kept thinking, is it supposed to be him? But I, I don't know. I, I think you're right. I think it was just supposed to be like that they have repaid their debt. They are working at the monastery in, in repayment of the healing. And I, I right. think she even has an arm back. I think she's using like yeah. a, a, so they must have regenerated her arm or something to, to make her, yeah. yeah. Which now, that was actually about, one of the cool scenes of the movie is when they cast the regeneration on Protheon and his arm grew back. That was a bad CGI, but it was kind of a cool scene. But but let's remember, the half-orc servant was the one who did that. So no, somehow... No, no there was, was a... a lich? No, there, there was oh, a... Oh, it was a kobold. Yeah. It was a or, kobold wizard or healer that came out of nowhere. Yes, and then this literally, literally disappeared afterwards. Right. Like, faded yeah. out like Star Trek. Right, exactly. Let's talk... Okay, remember this? there's a scene kind of in the beginning of the movie, after the bad guy's in his castle, where the half-orc is making him dinner, and he says, we're eating drow tonight. In that scene, for no apparent reason or explanation, the half-orc is dumping liquefied drow into a tube, which is poured down the bad guy's exposed spine. Yes. So I don't think they were eating. I think that was supposed to be the blood because he, the, the, in, the, in a very quickly way, they sort of explained how he was frozen in time for 100 years or whatever after the last movie and blah, blah, blah. And I think that, because he was turned into an undead, but then when he got the orb, he was, a, he was live again. I think this was some sort of like... Uh, uh, medicine type thing for him, like he needed blood in his body, and they were using. It wasn't explained, but I think that's what they were going for. It's just so arbitrary. But like uh, yeah, think, it's like, oh, okay, I could, I could completely be on board with the that stereotypical vampire scene where he has a chalice of his fallen enemy's blood. That that's a very evocative scene that I'd be fine with. But instead. We're dumping blood down a crazy straw into his back. <laughs> I don't know why. There's no... They could, this movie did, did not shy away from expository dialogue. So the bad guy could have said, Servant, pour that drow's lifeblood into me so that I might survive and fight this curse. That would have been fine. Yeah. But he didn't. Uh, uh, so another great moment, um, and great. I mean great sure. and, the, and, and, and in bad, yeah. is so when the lich comes to Profion and offers his services, Profion is hesitant. He's like, a lich is, is loyal to no one but himself. You know, how can I trust you? And the lich is like, hey, I just want to be a part of the destruction, man. Like, I just want to be part of it. So he's like, okay, fine. So the lich and the Profion start working together, and the, the lich is able to murder 
the uh, the main wizard Arcana dude and take over his body, and he's able to steal the orb at the last minute. No and explanation of that, by the way. It just happened. It just happened. And then, uh, and then in that scene where they're standing on top of the hill, Profion and the Lich, and it's just really awkward standing there. Uh, as the hero rides up after using his awesome natural 20 perception check to look a mile and a half away and see that they're there, he, Profion's like, kill him. And the Lich is like, kill him yourself. And, and then just like, walks away. And, and then he says, the look on your face makes all this worth it. And then he slides off camera. I mean, I just feel like Kelso from that 70s show should have stood up and went, ooh, burn! Burn! <laughs> <laughs> like, there was no weight to that betrayal. There was nothing interesting about that betrayal. It was it was dumb. It was uh, so dumb. All right, we, we're going we're gonna to do another... We're going to do a Kickstarter to recut this movie... With Kelso popping up in the background of every scene, screaming "Burn!" because there's there's like 20 spots where we could have that and it would be totally fine. Oh, when uh, when Lex throws her uh, sword at the rogue. Oh, uh, what the hell was that? The barbarian, the rogue is being a mouthy rogue, and the barbarian throws her fucking broadsword at him. Totally misses. And then never goes to get it back. <laughs> now, here, here's the thing. Remember in Avengers, there's, that, there's the whole big scene where Captain America, Iron Man, and Thor are fighting in the woods, right? Yes. Great fight scene. Everyone who has done any kind of commentary on Avengers has said, well, hey, you know what? In this fight scene, these guys were out and out just trying to kill each other because there was no camaraderie at that point. It's the same principle. This barbarian just said, fuck it, I'm going to kill this little midget <laughs> and throws a broadsword at his head. No explanation, no. no reasoning. I don't get it. And then later he says, if you do that again, you better kill me, which is another Kelso moment. Burn! Like, Burn! Then we got cloakers. We, we can't leave out the, our, oh, the, yeah. the iconic the monster. Cloakers. The dark, the, the dark, dark mantle. mantle. Yeah, Dark, I had forgotten that they were in the movie, and there's the scene where they're walking through a, a mysterious, dank, dark dungeon, because it's in the title of the movie, Yes, and it but cuts they, to but... a scene, like a, a top-down shot, and there's a horrible CG fleshy pulsing thing, and I'm like, holy shit, is that supposed to be a dark mantle? And then two seconds later, the fighter says, look out! Dark mantles. <laughs> Burn. <laughs> and let's 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 talk about the fighter for a second. Did you pick up that his sword was magical? Uh, when it glowed and he cut rocks in half, yes. For no reason, he has a magical sword. Let's go back to the very very beginning of the movie. A random villager comes up to the fighter and says, "My lord, there's danger. You must come with me." So he takes his girlfriend with this random villager and walks into a cave that is filled with poisonous gas. What's in this cave? It's the goddamn evil dragon god. We know this because the fighter pries open the dragon's eyeball and points at it. Yes. Now correct me if I'm wrong, he has a magical sword. The dragon is asleep. 
I would say he could coup de gras that bitch. <laughs> Am I wrong? Where, if I were playing a game, and the, the game master said, you are suddenly in a cave, and I roll perception, and the game master says, there's a sleeping dragon god, my first instinct would be, I stab him in the eyeball. <laughs> he's, he's asleep. I, I don't have to roll to confirm. I think I can kill him. <laughs> but no, he walks away and assembles a party. I have to say that that actually would have been a better movie. It would have been about 15 minutes long, and then it just like cut to credits. <laughs> yep. Fighter said, the random villager, my lord, there's a dragon. Fighter. Did you notice that the random, vill random villager had like a weird Middle Eastern accent? Yeah. Like well, everybody I, in this movie had a weird accent. It did, none well, of them really made sense. They were all just weird. Well, I think that speaks to the reality of the average game master that we can do pretty much one accent and we make all of our NPCs have that same accent. <laughs> oh, so now I'm just kind of going through and thinking of all the stupid stuff. So, so the scene where they get to the trap of the, uh, which was actually kind of an, another neat kind of thing where they had the the statue with the card letter. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, where they had to play Scrabble to open the door, yeah, pretty much. And, they, and again, they left the fighter and the rogue to do it rather than the wizard and the rogue. Yeah. So the barbarian tribe, or, or whatever these things were, the first thing they do is they take a bow and they shoot an arrow and alert them that they're there. Well, they obviously made a perception check. They saw the shot. Come on. True. So then, but then they proceed to fight them in melee. If they all just had bows, they would have killed all the heroes instantly. Right. Like, why didn't they just keep shooting the bow at the bad guy, at the good guy? It, and and because the the genius of the fighter leader is to send the barbarian and the wizard to fight this rush of of whatever bad guys were fighting them, nameless NPCs. The wizard stands there casting. I don't even know what spell. It just made the ground explode and people fall over. Yes. Now, previously, we had had the hero call out, use detect magic, use a lightning bolt. Why the hell didn't they just say, use a fireball? Or magic missile. Or, or magic missile. Grease. No, it was, it was just arbitrary, bad CGI, Power Ranger-style battle where a, an explosion goes off in the ground, there's some dust, and the stuntmen fall over. Yeah, one that of them was the directly into a tree, which was actually kind of cool. I think he might That's have killed true. himself. Oh, <laughs> natural one, <laughs> natural one on his attack roll. Yeah, he that was pretty bad. And then you get that badass move where the barbarian does like a back bend, like they swing a sword, and she literally oh. just like bends completely yep. backwards, puts her head on the ground, and then stands back up, which was yep. impressive. Not really barbarianish, but impressive. No, yeah, I mean. I, I guess she had a dodge bonus or something. I, I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. I think we could just go on for. I think we've actually talked longer than this movie is on. Right, <laughs> that's, a, that's sad. Here, oh, here's, the, here's the last thing I'm going to say. You know that the movie is going to be bad when the opening credits depict the player's handbook. Because they did. So I want there to be a good D&D &D movie. Like, like you said, I love the game. I like the brand. I want to support it. I want to get... Hasbro made a fucking Battleship movie, for God's sake. I know that there's this legal battle right now with uh, Courtney Solomon and his um, his production company 
on who owns the rights. You know, I, I don't know. I don't. I'm, I don't know legally who does and who doesn't. There, it comes down to if they've made a theatrical movie or not. Blah blah blah. It's the same BS going on with Marvel and the Avengers and uh, Fantastic Four and X Men and Sony and all that other good stuff. But I want there to be a literal big budget, like a hundred million dollar budget, Lord of the Rings style movie that happens to be D and D that I can happily take my friends to and my wife and, and go watch and have a good time. This was not it. This was no. a travesty. It is painful to watch, but it's not bad enough to be bad in the good way. It's just not a good movie. No, not at all. Now, there was another direct-to-DVD or direct-to-VHS whatever D&D movie made in 2012. Yeah, that will be our next movie night, and then we'll go ahead and just go, go through all three of them at the same time. What, yeah. What's that one called? It's called Dungeons and Dragons: The Book of Vile Darkness. That is correct. Uh, but it's also called Dungeons and Dragons Three. Aha! So that that will be our next movie night podcast, which we will record in August or early September. Yeah. Now I I'm looking at this on IMDb. Uh, th- this is this is going to be even worse. Because the the credits that are listed in the cast under I, under IMDb, there's no names. It's just fighter, knight, <laughs> barbarian. It, <laughs> they didn't even try with this one. There's nothing. <laughs> now uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but they are making a World of Warcraft movie. Yes, um, Duncan Jones is doing that. Who made. Two fantastic movies, in my main, uh, my my opinion, Moon and Source Code. Yes, I really did like Moon. Was a great movie. Moon yes. was an awesome movie. I yeah. love Moon. I, again, I thought Source Code was good as well. But yeah, I loved Moon. It was a a fantastic movie. So I am very excited about that as well. Yeah. Even though I'm not a World of Warcraft fan, again, that's just a fantasy type movie that hopefully will be done really well. Well, I uh, I believe that there was. Uh, some footage shown at San Diego Comic Con, San Diego Comic Con this past week. Okay. Uh, I might be making that up, but I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that people had seen footage at Comic Con and it was really good. But I I can't say anything more than that. I, I I don't know. Right. But yeah, that that while I while the brand uh, World World of Warcraft, I mean it's just in in the big picture, it's just another sword and sorcery flick. Right. So, uh, I, I think if it's done right, it I can pretend it says D and D instead of W O W. That's right. There you go. So, looking at Book of Vile Darkness, it uh, has the same director Jerry Lively and has the same writer Brian Rudnick. So, I'm just going to go and go on a limb right now because I actually haven't seen that one. I I had seen Wrath of the Dragon God before. Yeah, I uh, I started to watch Book of Vile Darkness, but I did not complete it. I got about 20 minutes in and turned it off. But I'm going to guess at the end of the movie, there's going to be a bunch of wizards on a tower fighting a dragon. <laughs> Stay tuned to see if I am correct if you have not already seen the movie. And I, and I will make a wager that there will be a magical MacGuffin. There will be someone who tries to use said MacGuffin, fails, and through the amazing power of devotion and self-discovery is able to master the MacGuffin by the end of the film. Ah, so you think there will be an arc of discovery that they will be, um, they will like the like Thor. They will not be worthy for a period of time, but they will find worthiness in themselves. You're putting so much 
more hope into me than <laughs> this movie can possibly ever grant. Oh, <laughs> well, we can hope. I mean, who knows? I haven't seen it, so maybe it's really good. But the first part wasn't. That's why I stopped watching it. Uh, but we shall see. So, Caleb, thank you, as always, for joining me and giving me your, your time tonight. Would you recommend this movie to anyone for any reason ever? No, never. <laughs> me either. I love bad movies. I have a collection of bad movies that I enjoy watching. Like Super Mario Brothers. One of the worst movies ever made. But I'm still entertained by watching it. I, I would not willingly put this movie on ever again in my entire life. Unless I had a reason to. Such as this podcast. I would agree with you. I, I could have lived a long and happy and uh, fruitless or fruitful fruitful life. It's fruitless ne- now. Fruitless now. I have never watched this movie. And if it were not for this podcast, I would not have ever watched it again. Um, nope. So unfortunately, none of our patrons were able to join us tonight. That That is disappointing, but understandable because this, this did happen pretty quickly. Hopefully yep. the next one will be planned out a little bit further in advance um, and people will get to join us. But if you've enjoyed this movie and if you have things to say that we missed or part, points that we got wrong and you were shouting going, you didn't or why did All you got to do to join us next time is become a patron. All of our patrons are invited. So for as little as $1 a month uh, through our Patreon campaign, you can donate to us and then you will be invited whenever we have one of these again in addition to any other cool rewards that you get based on your donation. You can give us feedback and comments on our website, therpgacademy.com. You can listen to previous podcasts on our website and subscribe to new ones on iTunes. If you have a suggestion for a table topic, we'd love to hear it. Email us at podcast at the rpgacademy.com or connect with us. We're on Twitter at the RPG Academy. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash the RPG Academy. We also have a Google Plus page, the RPG Academy. As always, thanks for listening. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.